Good morning, Reality San Francisco. It is so good to be with you today. I am really stoked about the message that God has given me for you all today because it's something that started in my own heart, something that's been going on in our family, something that God has been speaking. And as I've been sitting with it, it feels like it has just grown and grown. And I feel like this is a word for our community and this is a word for our city. If you're watching this morning and you are feeling like you are facing an impossible situation, if you feel like you are facing lack and need and struggle and you don't know how to move forward, I want to encourage you that you are in exactly the right place, that God has a word for us today. My sermon today is titled Miracles. We're going to be in John 6. And as you turn to that scripture, I want to say just one real quick thing to you. The story that we're reading today is a really well-known story in the Gospels. And actually, it appears in all four Gospels. And that's exciting because if you take away Jesus's death and resurrection and the whole Passion Week, there's literally a handful of stories that appear in all four of the Gospels. That means that every single one of the Gospel writers was like, this is important. This is something we need to know. This is something that people need to read and they need to understand. So as we approach the text today, I want to encourage you to put aside anything you've heard before and just feelings of like, oh, I know this story. And instead say, okay, God, I think you've got something for me today. I think you've got a word for me. And just position your heart to receive. We're going to be in John 6, starting with verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray. God, I thank you that no matter how we are feeling this morning, no matter what is going on in our lives, in our families, in our marriage, in our relationship, in our workplace, however we are approaching you today, God, you are more than enough. God, you do more than we ask or imagine. You have more that you wanna do in our lives. You are limitless, Jesus. And I pray that as we look at your word this morning, God, that you would just set it on fire, set our hearts on fire. God, would you burn within us and would you stir our faith today? Father, I pray for those that are watching that are feeling deeply discouraged, deeply alone, and they need a word from you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would meet them exactly where they're at right now. 
and I speak faith in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine the scene with me today. You've got Jesus and the disciples and you have a crowd of people and they are after Jesus because he's been healing the sick. Jesus is getting kind of famous at this point and people want to be around him. And so the crowd comes to him and the scripture says there's about 5,000 men, but we know they were only counting men and there was way more people than that. There were women and there were children. And some estimate that there was probably more than 15,000 people in that crowd. And most likely they had been listening to Jesus all day and it was hot and they were hungry. And the crowd was approaching, the crowd was pressing in and they had a need. They were hungry. And people probably, I imagine especially children, let's be real, were starting to complain. They'd been out there all day. Who's going to feed us? What are we going to do? And Jesus turns to Philip and he says, where should we buy bread for these people? Notice here in the scripture that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. This question was a test. This is because Jesus, it wasn't because Jesus didn't know what he was going to do. It wasn't because he was looking around like, anyone got any good, good ideas? I'm out of ideas, not sure what to do. Jesus had a plan. I want you to grab onto that today and hold that with whatever you are facing in your life. Jesus has a strategy. Jesus has a thought about you. Jesus has a plan for your life and exactly what you're going through. Notice Philip's response here. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, I don't know if Philip was a mathematician. I don't know if he'd already been thinking about this, but his brain is ticking over and he is looking over the crowd and he is working this out in his head. There is an equation that he's working out. Here's the crowd, here's the need, it's massive, it's overwhelming, and here's what we have at our disposal. This is what it would take. We'd have to work half a year, and even then, everyone would get like one bite. This is an equation of hopelessness. There's a sense of what are we gonna do with the need? How are we gonna respond? Isn't this so often how we respond to need and lack and obstacles in our life? First of all, some of us might relate to the idea of trying to avoid, trying to numb out, trying to look away. If you read this story in one of the other gospels, it actually says that some of the disciples suggested that we send the crowd away. The crowd that had come to find healing and truth and life in Jesus, they actually said, the need is so big, let's send them away. Isn't it so true that in our own lives that sometimes we're facing something that feels like it can't be repaired, it can't be fixed, we have no resources, we don't know what we wanna do, what we can do, and so we kind of numb out, we try to avoid it, we withdraw. And then there's the, the flip side, and I think I relate to this a lot, that when we see a need or a lack, we're kind of like Philip. We start thinking, well, what could we do? How could we hustle? What could we make happen in our own strength to respond to that? Maybe you've been feeling that in this season. Maybe you've been feeling like, how am I gonna get ahead in my career in this season of COVID? And we're updating our LinkedIn and we're rewriting our resume and we're rewriting our goals and we're thinking strategy. We're pulling out our Excel sheet. We're looking at our numbers because finances are not great right now. We're moving money around. We're doing all of these things. We're thinking, okay, how am I gonna get a date during COVID? Update my photo on my dating profile. We're doing all these things. We're hustling. We're looking at what do I have at my disposal? 
And friends, I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong. I'm just saying when we get dependent on those things, when we're led by those things, we're not being led by the Spirit, we're being led by our own efforts. See, I don't think either of these options are what Jesus invites us into in a relationship with him of how to approach need and how to approach problems. See, I don't think we need smaller problems. I think we need a bigger perspective of God. I don't think we need to scale things down so it's manageable, so we can get our hands on it. I don't think we need to tuck things away in a corner and pretend it doesn't exist. I don't think we need to kind of strategize to think, how could I respond to this need? I think what we actually need is a scaled up perspective of God. I think we need to see God for who he is and what he can do in our lives. What is possible when God jumps in on the equation? You see, Jesus had a different approach. He thought differently and he acted differently. And God thinks and acts so differently to us. Isaiah 55 actually says in verse eight to nine, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, if you look at that scripture, That word thoughts literally translates to imagination. God's imagination, God's capacity to do something is so much higher and greater than ours. I wanna suggest this morning that where what we can imagine ends, God's imagination begins. Where we're looking at our circumstances, and I know this, I'm preaching to my soul today too, because I do this. We look at our life, we look at our need, we look at the things around us that we just need, we need help with, and we strategize, and we try to imagine a way forward, and then we get to a point where we're like, I can't even imagine how this could turn out. I can't even imagine a way that this ends up good, that this relationship is healed. This marriage is saved. This child is is, is coming back into relationship with me. I can't imagine a way that my bank account isn't at zero constantly. I can't see a way forward. I want to suggest that when you hit that point, that that is exactly where God's thoughts and God's ways kick in because he is higher and he is greater. And Jesus demonstrates that in this story. When Philip is doing all the mathematician in his head and he's just like, how could we do this? Jesus is thinking higher and greater, and he does something special. You see, he doesn't send the crowd away, and he doesn't reach over to the disciples and say, let's hatch some kind of strategic plan here. He takes something small, and he multiplies it. He adds his presence to the equation, and now the odds have changed, right? Now the need is not so massive, because God is bigger, I want to suggest, Reality San Francisco, that what looks like lack to you looks like opportunity to God. What looks like setback, what looks like an obstacle, what looks like a mountain you cannot get over, what looks like something that you've experienced your whole life and you can't see a different narrative, what looks like lack, what looks like need, looks like opportunity for God. Because God is a God of miracles. You know, what I love about this story is that provision was already there. It just looks so small. Nobody thought that it could actually be useful. 
Think back to the beginning of the scripture. Jesus knew what he was gonna do. Jesus knew there was a little lunchbox in the crowd with a little bit of food and he knew what he could do with just a little bit. Imagine what happens when we put a little bit in the hands of Jesus. Imagine what he can do with it. I know that so many of us are facing things that feel overwhelming in this season. I know that some of us have health diagnosis that have just, just wrecked us and shocked us and put us in this place of we just don't know how to move forward. I know that some of us are struggling with debt and loneliness and eating disorders and just all kinds of struggles and mental health and depression and anxiety and sleepless nights. And I know those things are so massive, but what if God wants to come into your situation and show you that he has already provided for you? Imagine what happens when he comes into your equation. I wanna just say a side note here that Jesus takes the lunch from a child. He takes the lunch from a child and he meets the needs of a crowd. This is a shout out to parents, to all of you that volunteer in the village with our kids here at Reality San Francisco, to mentors, to teachers, to preschool workers, all of you that are investing in the life of children. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus used the food belonging to somebody that we so often overlook, that we so often think is the being the ones who are needy, but imagine that it's from the children that the needs are met. Back to our text. There's a part of this scripture that really grabs a hold of me as well, and that is this idea of the 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, if you uh, read commentary around this, you know, some people will say, well, every basket represented a disciple. I don't know. I don't know exactly what is going on here. But this week, I was walking around the botanical gardens with my children. Um, if you haven't been San Francisco residents, it is free for you. I highly suggest it's a great place to hang out. And I was walking around my children and they were just running off ahead and I was writing this sermon in my head. Um, I'm a mom. I run a nonprofit and I feel called to preach. And a long time ago, God told me that what he was calling me to would have to fit and he would find a way to fit with my responsibilities and my family. And for me, that means that I write sermons on the go. So if I've ever said anything good here at Reality, it probably has been downloaded from the Holy Spirit in the Target parking lot, in the hair salon, or apparently in the botanical gardens. So I was walking around with my children and I was thinking about these leftovers and the Holy Spirit just began to speak to my soul. And he said, you know, so many of us, so many of you struggle with believing God consistently for big things in your life. And he said, Ruthie, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of leftovers. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of abundance. You see, I think so often we approach God almost as if like miracles are a few and far between and we could maybe expect one or two in our life. And if God has shown up and done breakthrough and something amazing, maybe in 2017, well, maybe that's just our quota. Maybe that's all we get. Surely we can't be asking God for something more now. Let me tell you this, Jesus is not a one hit wonder. Jesus does not do just one thing. 
The kingdom of God, the culture of the kingdom is a kingdom of miracles. It's a kingdom where we can expect that stuff again and again and again. And it's a kingdom where we can approach our heavenly father and anticipate that he wants to do good things in our life. I want to encourage you this morning that some of you have been thinking you used up your quota with God. You had an amazing answer to prayer last year or God did something magnificent in your life just last month. You can't surely ask him for a great relationship and a great job. You can't surely ask him to meet your financial need or to supply for your business and trust him with your family or your marriage. Yes, you can. God is a kingdom of leftovers. I love that Jesus is like, gather all of it up. Let nothing be wasted. Friends, don't leave anything wasted because you thought you'd seen all that you're ever going to see in the kingdom. Listen, God is a God of miracles. And in this series right now, we're looking at the actions of Jesus. And if you pick up the New Testament and read through the Gospels, what you're going to see is miracle after miracle after miracle. Look, there wasn't a limit on the miracles that Jesus had the capacity to do then or now. The kingdom is a kingdom of leftovers. It's a kingdom of abundance. Church, I really feel and I felt as I prepared this word that this is a prophetic word for our community. That some of us have been feeling like, I don't know how to move forward. And I think the answer is God wants to show up and do the impossible in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in our church, in our city. You are not a lost hope. San Francisco is not a lost hope. The things around you are not a lost hope. God is at work and God is a God of miracles. There's six key words at the beginning of this passage that I think so often we just jump right over and don't consider important. And those words are the Jewish Passover festival was near. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Why is that important? Well, let's just talk about that for a second. Passover is a Jewish festival where the Jewish people remember that they were brought out of slavery, out of Egypt, and eventually brought into the promised land, right? And in between that, we have them in the wilderness, and eventually they get hungry, right? They are hungry in the wilderness, like, how are we going to survive here? We've been rescued from Egypt. We're not yet in the promised land. We're in this in-between place, and we need provision. And if you go to Exodus 16, you can read this story, And they approach God and they're actually grumbling. They're complaining. They're like, we need food. And God just blesses them and he sends manna. And God literally calls it in that passage, bread from heaven. And the Hebrew people were encouraged to go out every day except Sabbath. And they were to collect this bread every day and believe that every day they went out for it, God would provide it. They were told, don't collect too much in advance because it would spoil. I want you to trust me every day. And then the day before Sabbath, I want you to collect double. And so this is what happened. But Israel struggled with this, right? Some people collected more than they needed because they weren't sure if God was actually going to provide. Can anybody relate? Some people went out on the Sabbath just to check, just to make sure they weren't missing out on something. Can any of us relate? Like sometimes it's hard to trust God, right? When there's need and there's lack and it's scary. So so what is going on in this passage? Why is God feeding them with manna? Well, number one, I wanna say this. God knows they're hungry and he responds to their physical need. God is a compassionate God. If you have a physical need, God cares about it. 
He is putting food in their stomachs to keep them alive. He is compassionate and moved by their need. But more than that is going on. Just in the same way that Jesus is on the mountainside and he's feeding these 15,000 plus people. They're hungry, feed the people, but there's more going on. You see, when the Israelites were in the wilderness, they still behaved like they were in Egypt. They still acted like they had to hustle and provide for themselves. And God wanted to introduce himself to them as a loving parent that was gonna show up for them, that was gonna provide for them, that cares for them. They wouldn't have to do it themselves. They could trust themselves to him. He was teaching them to be children who depend on him for their source of life. This is what God was doing in the wilderness Miracles are an expression of God's loving nature. It is one of the ways that God shows us that he loves us. He sent manna from heaven down onto the wilderness for the people to collect as a sign, I love you, I'm for you, I'm your parent. It's it's different now, you're not in Egypt anymore, you're not slaves anymore, I pulled you out of that. This is gonna be a different kind of relationship. You see, what God was doing in the wilderness, I believe he's doing on the mountainside through Jesus with those people. He's responding compassionately to their physical needs, but there is a bigger purpose going on here. You see, the miracles are supposed to point us to the miracle maker. The miracles are amazing, and I believe we should ask for them, and we should believe for them, and we should pray for them. But let me tell you, the signs and wonders that God does are supposed to point us to the miracle maker, supposed to point us to God, that we would look to him and want to be in relationship with him. So how do I know that this is what God, what Jesus is doing on the mountainside? Well, skip ahead a few verses with me, and I'm going to show you what's going on and connect these stories John 6, verse 25, this is the next day and the crowd that was with Jesus that he fed have come back and they found Jesus again. And let's just read this interaction. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, the people were hungry again. They'd had this amazing miracle and their stomachs had been filled and they found Jesus then and they're like, do it again. Give us more food, fill our stomachs. But you see, the miracle of the food was never supposed to sustain them. Was never supposed to sustain them. There was more that Jesus had for them. And so they're like, well, you know, give us a sign. You know, just like our ancestors, 
in the wilderness with the manna. And I can just imagine Jesus being like, okay, let's talk about the manna. Let's talk about the wilderness. And I'll tell you what was really going on. Number one, Moses didn't give you that bread. Your father in heaven did. He supplied to your ancestors. He fed you. And it was for a purpose to point forward to something else. And they're like, okay, well, like always give us this bread. It's like, they're not understanding. And Jesus says, I am the bread. It's me. You see, that thing that you're seeking is just gonna fill your stomach. That miracle won't sustain you for eternity, but I will. I'm the bread of life that's come down. I'm the one that wants to sustain you. And you see what God was doing in the wilderness thousands of years ago, it's all a signpost. The miracle is pointing to the miracle maker. What I did on that mountainside for you, it's a signpost. I'm the bread of life. I wanna sustain you. I wanna nourish you. I'm the one that wants to be in relationship with you. You see, Jesus is inviting them into more than a moment. Be easy to look at this mountainside and see, that was such an awesome miracle, God. I just wanna see a sign like that. Yes, we wanna see signs like that. Yes, the kingdom is a kingdom of miracles. But Jesus is like, it's way bigger. You're gonna have to increase your perspective of what's going on here because this is not a moment. This is a lifetime with me as your bread, sustaining you and nourishing you. And let me tell you this, it is not just for us that Jesus does this. He moves in signs and wonders and miracles, but the world needs to see this kind of community, a community of faith that regularly leans in and says, I am dependent, I am positioned for a miracle. God, I need you to come through. And when he does, we shout it from the rooftops and we say, come see what God's doing. Oh, but let me tell you something greater. Come see Jesus. Come see the person that will sustain you, that will meet you. This is what Jesus is trying to get to. He's trying to get to their hearts. You see, our faith to pray big prayers is rooted in our confidence of his love for us. We are in relationship with him. We're gonna move into time of response in just a moment. And I just wanna kind of set that up with a couple of things. I know every time we stop talking about signs and wonders and miracles, what the enemy loves to do is just remind you of that time you prayed that you didn't see a miracle. He wants to just flare up that disappointment and I'll be real, I don't understand all the ways of God. And I've prayed a lot of prayers and I didn't see the miracle. I've also prayed a lot of prayers and seen crazy miracles. I wish I had time today to list for you. I actually started doing it in my own journal as I prepped for this teaching. Just all the ways that God has shown up for me and my family, the miraculous healings, the financial provision, the schools they said we'd never get into in San Francisco, the preschool that never had room, but miraculously had room. Like all of the things that God has done, the housing that God has provided for my family that made no sense. We shouldn't have got there. We shouldn't have moved into those spaces. And yet God has again and again and again showed up. I know we have questions about the times that God doesn't do the stuff we want him to do. But don't let the devil steal your faith. Don't let him come in and overshadow what God is wanting to do in this moment. I believe that there is anointing in this moment for God to stir up faith in our hearts for what might be possible if he is in the equation. I wanna invite you this morning to move back into a place of faith with Jesus, to approach him 
with all of the questions and all of the disappointments and then still say, but God, I'm going to trust you. I believe you. You're a God of miracles and I want to do this life with you. I know that 2020 has been a wretched year. I know that some of us approach this and think, well, maybe last year I believed my marriage could be saved. Maybe last year I believed for a financial breakthrough or amazing job offer or a relationship or housing, but this year has been so bad, it feels like I'm just spiraling down and all I can see is looming disaster. And I wanna say this, that if you look through scripture, you are gonna see time and time again when God showed up at the darkest hour, when the Hebrew people were gonna be slaughtered in the book of Esther, when the battle was against Israel and it seemed like they could never win, when the Philistines sent out a giant and it seemed like no one could possibly defeat him, when Lazarus had been in the grave four days, all of these situations looked hopeless. They looked dark. They looked like there's no coming back from this. Those were the times and so many more that God showed up. Listen, if you think 2020 is dark, if it has been a difficult year, and I think we can all raise a hand to that, we are positioned for a miracle. Now is exactly the time that God would choose to move on our behalf. Listen, after we do a response time with communion and worship, the prayer rooms are gonna be open. And I just wanna invite you and exhort you and spur you on to step into those prayer rooms with big prayers, big prayers, big needs, medical diagnosis that feel terminal, housing situations that feel hopeless, marriages on the brink of divorce, mental illness, all of the stuff that just feels so big, I wanna to say to you today, come with it and let's ask a big God for big miracles. I think that that is a season that we're moving into, that he wants to stir our faith. I wanna say that that kind of obedience, saying yes to Jesus, Jesus loves that. And you know what? That just pours gasoline on our faith and it's just like, vroom. Like we just begin to be stirred. And I think as a community, God wants to stir us. Let's close in prayer. God, you are a God of miracles. And I feel in my heart, even as I'm preaching today, that you are already breaking things off in the spirit over people's lives. You're already silencing the accuser. You're already bringing healing to people's physical bodies. You are already bringing hope to dreams, things that felt dead. God, when you show up, dead things come back to life. Things that we thought like, we'll never get that back. Lord Jesus, you do the miraculous. Would you stir our faith? Lord, there are people that are listening that feel so dry in their relationship with you and they're so hungry. And Lord, I pray that they would experience a revelation of your love for them and the fact that you are our source of life, that you are the bread of life, that we can be sustained by you. God, there are parents watching this who are fraught with anxiety because we don't know if our kids are going back to school this year and we don't have a plan and we don't know how we're gonna keep working and we don't know if for our own sanity that we can figure this thing out. And God, I think that you're gonna show up with supernatural peace. 
And you're going to begin to speak into those situations. You're going to speak to teachers who are anxious and afraid. Lord, you are going to speak to people in positions of power and influence who have been looking at problems and not seeing solutions. And Jesus, you are right now even downloading some of that stuff. God, you are a way maker. And even when we don't see it and even when we don't feel it, God, you are who you are. Lord, do a work in our lives that we would carry that miracle into our city, into our families. In Jesus' name, amen.